Hello geniuses, welcome back to the Own Your Genius podcast, where we discuss building businesses, growing brands, and owning your genius. I'm your host, brand attorney, LaConya Murray. We have a good one for you today, but before we get started, let me ask you, have you joined the Genius Lounge? It's a place where all of us geniuses hang out to discuss intellectual property, business, and mindset. If you're looking for a community of motivated, high achievers doing what they need to do to succeed in business and life, you need to head over to the Genius Lounge. You can join us at joinlakanye.com. Now, I promise you that today's episode was a good one, so let's get started. Thank you again for saying yes and for agreeing to be in the Own Your Genius podcast. Listen, geniuses, you are in for a huge treat and a wonderful conversation with my friend and colleague, attorney Chuck James. He is one of the managing members of the Serious Injury Law Group. His firm is based out of Montgomery, Alabama, and they do personal injury and med mal practice. What else y'all do? Yeah, I call it planes, trains, and automobiles and hospitals (laughs) and nursing homes too. Okay, okay, okay. They are the big dogs here. And what I love about Chuck and what I've always admired about him from the time he started his law practice is his marketing, his branding, and really the community aspect of it. You are huge on community. And what we want to talk about today is, I mean, I don't care if you're an attorney, if you are a plumber with your own business, whatever it is, we all have these skills, right? We have these skills and our, you know, skill sets. But those skill sets don't necessarily prepare you for business, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about today is like, what didn't law school teach us about running a law firm? Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what, what, what is it? So again, thank you for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I remember, and so I just asked you, how did you, when did you decide to start your own practice? Mm, that is a, a really good question. I think it was ingrained in my brain back in law school. I graduated from the University of Alabama, and I know that when certain law firms would come on campus, your 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 silk stockings, what they call blue blood law firms, uh, they may interview uh, myself or students who who looked like me, but there was never much of a genuine effort. Um, to, to really power us. And as I progressed through my legal career, I always knew that I, I kind of wanted, well, when, once I graduated law school, I knew that I wanted to do um, civil work, uh, personal injury work specifically. And there were no opportunities for African-American, and even today, very, very few Af- opportunities for African-American plaintiff lawyers. Um, look at uh, look at all, all the, the the lawyers that you see other than us that are on TV advertising <laughs> for car wrecks, 18 wheelers. Very rarely will you see an attorney or a key gatekeeper um, at that law firm who uh, is of African American or, or even Latino or Hispanic descent. Um, but so I, I recognized early on that in order to to make my way in this world, I had to create opportunities. Uh, for myself and for others um, who uh, don't necessarily come from that, uh, again, that, that silk stocking, what does my daddy call it? Uh, lucky Firm Club background. So I like it. I love it. I love it. The Lucky <laughs> Firm Club. Right, right. But you do a, a great job and I'm glad that you did that. And everything you said was right on point. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a huge af- advocate for us creating our own businesses, because we have to create our own opportunities. There was a quote that I saw from Claude Anderson that said that it's criminal 
it's criminal for us as African-Americans to have children and then send them outside of the community to mm-hmm. beg for a job. Yes. And, and I'm, uh, no, that is, that is absolutely on point. And uh, people talk about in the South, particularly uh, uh, the, the brain drain. Oh, well, I don't see any, I don't see any black aerospace engineers from Mobile where I grew up or Montgomery or Columbus, Mississippi. I'm like, I can name plenty of them for you. I can name chemical engineers. I can name neurosurgeons, but they could never get a job in Columbus, Mississippi. They can never get a job in Jackson, Mississippi or Mobile, Alabama. So they're all in Atlanta, Charlotte, Nashville, uh, New York, Houston. Um, and so that's one of the things that uh, my partner and I, we, we really, really stress uh, creating opportunities um, for, you know, for, for young people uh, so that they can move back home. Um, I want my kids, I want my daughters, just like you want yours. Uh, I want them to chase their dreams, but if they want to come back to Montgomery, um, I want them to have that opportunity. So absolutely, uh, you got to you got to talk. Instead of just talking to talk, you got to walk the walk in that regard. And you walk it. When I see the talents you have working for you, and you know people that I know that have graduated from school, and then they they're working with you, and I love that. I love that you're given that opportunity because, like you said, we don't get that many opportunities. We don't get to law clerk and positions. You know, we don't. We just don't get that opportunity, and that's not just with this field. That's what a lot of most major industries, we just don't get that opportunity. How do you mm-hmm. do it? How do you do it as far as building that team of new talent? How do, how do you do that? Uh, first and foremost, by the grace of God. Uh, secondly, uh, by having a supportive wife, uh, I think my partner, uh, Gerald, and I can both attest to that. Um, our wives uh, wholeheartedly have supported our dream and our vision. Um, to build this practice. Um, thirdly, um, with the support of our community, you, you have to have that trust and that rapport with the community. Um, and like I tell people, I have to do a good job on your case as opposed to this lawyer that you see from Louisiana or Georgia or Mountain Brook in Birmingham, because I go to school, my, my kids go to school with your kids. Uh, we go to church together. Uh, we get our haircut at the same place. I'm going to see you in the grocery store. Our kids play little league ball together. So I, I, I work really, really hard to give our clients an experience where, uh, where their opinion and, and where they feel like their opinions and their case matters and where we go above and beyond to try to get them uh, results. Like you hear about lawyers just forcing settlements upon clients or not keeping them informed about the process. That's the antithesis of what we're trying to establish here. And that leads into your next point. We do it <laughs> based upon those, those aforementioned factors, but every dollar that we've made pretty much goes back into this firm. It goes back into our firm, back into the community. We don't, uh, I drive a pickup truck. Uh, I, I, my partner drives, a, a, I think, a, a Chevy Tahoe. Uh, we, we don't live glamorously, uh, everything that we, that we make, we get a good result. We, we put that back into the firm so that we are able to hire good talent so that we are able to provide benefits so that we are able to hire the best experts to, to, to help, uh, advocate on behalf of our clients so that we can, all right, if this big corporation wants to 
starve us out for, for three years. Okay, we good. We still gonna need, we still gonna make payroll. And so we don't have to, uh, like I say, force settlements or, or end cases prematurely because uh, we don't have the resources to, to, to keep fighting. So I think that's, I hope I've answered yeah. your question uh, in a <laughs> yeah. roundabout way. In a roundabout way, you, you did, you did, you did. Community, that's the big theme of what I'm hearing about from you and Serious Injury Law Group is community. So the community in which you live and that's where your clients come from, that's where your pool of talent comes from, that's where you are. And I see mm -hmm. you out there and I, I'm i going to like, I see it and I want it, but I'm such an introvert that <laughs> I, don't, I, know. I, I, don't, I don't get out there very much because I'm like, oh, I love the people, but people, yeah. Like, and how do you do it? Because you do have a family too. Because you're not just a client that's about community and you're just getting your clients from the community. Like you are in the community. I see you out there doing things. So how do you do that? How do you balance that with running the practice and with your family and then making time to actually be present in your community? Um, and, I, and I hate to ramble, please forgive me. When I was at University of Alabama, I was intimidated. For, for lack of a better term. It was very intimidating for me. Most of the buildings, most of the classrooms were named after the, the, the grandfathers or the great-grandfathers of some of my classmates. Uh, most, many of my classmates, when they graduated, they already had jobs lined up for them. I did not have those opportunities. I didn't have situations where we were discussing, um, as a kid, I discussed summary judgments and the rules of evidence at the dinner table or at Thanksgiving uh, with my family. So it was a bit overwhelming and intimidating. And I, I asked God, uh, I, I think this is like my, my first year, I said, God, if you just get me up out of here, I promise, I promise you, I will use my entire career to try to, to, to do your work with my clients, through my practice and within the community. And so they say, be careful of what you ask for. And, and he gave that to me and I, I do it to, to, to live up to that promise that I made to God back in, like I say, back in 1999 when I was in law school. And I'm also a firm believer of what they see is what they'll be. If they see negative images on TV or in the community, everybody's slinging dope or everybody's uh, rapping, not trying to get a nine to five or a regular a job, you know, that's what the kids are going to, uh, young people are going to gravitate to. So I, I want them to see that, you know, if Chuck James can be an attorney, if, if lawyer James uh, can be a, a work at the district attorney's office and then go on to be a judge, well, hey, maybe I can too. And so that's why, those are two of the reasons why I'm so adamant about being um, in the forefront of our community. And I, I do it, like I say, out of, out of pure genuineness and out of obligation. Um, to whom much is given, much is expected. So, um, you know, that's that's how we do it. And and I, again, just got a supportive wife, and uh, you know, kids who have been going through some things, but they understand. Um, mm -hmm. They 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 understand, and it hasn't been perfect. Uh, I've got, oh man, just so many regrets where I kind of I wish I was at home more, but I've got to go to. Ogden, Utah, to the posing expert. Uh, this is pre-posing when we were still flying everywhere and um, Zoom depositions weren't the norm. And so there were there, there, there has been a whole lot of time away from home. And 
um, that's that's my regret. So so it hasn't been easy, but it, it it's we you know we're we're trying to manage. But it's been worth it. Hadn't been easy, but it's been worth it. Yeah, and again, just my wife's understanding. Right. Um, she she put a lot of stuff on the back burner um, um, for me to 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 pursue this. So that's why I, I try to be as it's so supportive when she was running um, for for circuit judge because she she you know. Uh, and sometimes felt like she, I know she felt like she was a single mom, but I, I felt like I, I, I owe it to, to my clients and, and I owe it to the community and, and, and she never complained one thing. So. Well, that's, and let's kind of stay there for a second because, I mean, I don't think what you're talking about is, is unique to you or even us as attorneys when we're starting businesses, a lot of us are, we feel that same way. We had to spend so much time and energy in building our business so that we can have that, I guess, rest on the other side or, you know, serve our clients. How do you, like, when in business are you able to get to that point where you're like, okay, I'm going to make sure my clients are served, the community is served, but I'm also going to shift my focus a little bit. I know for me, it was probably, first of all, it's an everyday, I'm just going to say this, it's an everyday thing. <laughs> right, exactly. it's, it's like an everyday thing. I, I promise you I try. I promise you I try. But like, even like last night I was working, but I, I took like yeah. five minutes to go jump on the trampoline with mm -hmm. my youngest because that's what she wanted. So I think it's really just about when you are present, being present. Because mm -hmm. there's no such thing, because I, I mentioned the word balance, but I don't think there's a such thing as balance. I know when I was working for um, JR or Attorney Gaines, no, not Judge Gaines. Judge Gaines. <laughs> Judge Gaines. He was the, he was Attorney Gaines back then. But when I was working for Judge Gaines, I asked him the same thing, and he was like, triage, like whatever in the fire, you that's where your your focus is, mm -hmm. and when you're there, you're there. So I think mm -hmm. balance is an illusion and a myth to be busted, so that people don't feel like crap <laughs> as they're working and building their businesses. And it's ever, as you said, it's ever evolving, ever changing. Um, you know, the world, it, it changes just like the world around us. Um, you know, one day everything is fine. Um, and the next minute you're getting an emergency order from the governor, you know, telling people to shelter at home. Uh, so the way that you shop, the way that you go to school, even the way you go to church, much less the way that you work and run your business, it, it can change at the drop of a hat, drop of a dime overnight. So you have to be fluid. Um, you have to, you know, don't 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 get too high uh, when when things are going well, and don't get too low when they're when they're um, when they're not going favorably for you. Um, stay, be resilient, be determined. But you know, of course, at at all times, uh, I, someone said I've never, in terms of work for lawyers, I've never heard a lawyer say on their deathbed that. I, I wish I had taken one more deposition or I, I wish I had tried one more case. If I only signed that, 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 you know, make, made that trip to the hospital, sign that one last climber, you know, and so it's about family and, and making memories with them, good memories uh, with your kids. And it's hard. Like my wife and, and, and when she was with the DA's office, I would ask her, baby, how was your day? Well, you know, she was doing the child sex crimes. Well, you know, I had an 18-month-old who uh, got gonorrhea from her mom's boyfriend. I got a, a two-year-old who will probably never be able to have kids because she was uh, 
you know, sexually abused or um, she'll never be able to uh, use the bathroom like a normal person would. We're going to have to have corrective surgery every two to three years for the rest of her life. And you, how do you balance that with your kid wanting to sing Moana songs with you or, hey, dad, let's watch Paw Patrol or what, uh, Door to Explore. And you have to, you know, I, I, I could have just come, come, come in from a funeral home where I saw someone who had been run over by a train or, or someone who was ejected um, after being rear-ended by an 18-wheeler. And you have to put that stuff away and still come home and be daddy and be husband, go to church on Sunday and, and be a, a good and faithful servant and, and a good, good parishioner. So it, it, it's about compartmentalizing. And, and as Judge Gaines said, you know, whatever's poke, sticking out at the fire or, or at, at the time, whatever fire needs attention, that's the one that you have to attend to. Absolutely. It's hard, though. It, it is. It is. And especially in, in your case, when you're dealing with the type of work you're doing and your wife as well, type of work that she was doing. And even as a judge, like when you're seeing all that stuff, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard. But you have to find a way to compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. oh, you'll you'll go crazy. But it's, it's crazy. a lot of prayer. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of prayer. I, I tell you what, since COVID, I was about to lose my mind. And but I, I got on prior to COVID, I'd have my Peloton about two or three years. It was the best, most expensive clothes hanger in the world. I would come home from work uh, and take my jacket off and throw it on my Peloton. But I got back on it during, um, during COVID. And in the midst of, like I say, our world collapsing, uh, you know, from a health standpoint, losing money, you know, money that you had set aside for a rainy day, the stock market crashes. Uh, you know, your clients are calling, uh, what's going on with my case? Uh, or, uh, you know, client, I mean, your employees are, well, hey, I hear people are downsizing. Um, should we even have to come to the office? Dealing with those <laughs> sorts of things. Or you get that call where one of your, your well, all of my clients are my favorite, but, but one of your longstanding clients dies unexpectedly from COVID, uh, you know, unrelated to the, to the accident or the, the legal matter that you're representing them on. Um, it's a lot. And so that, that, that Peloton has been my saving grace. I did more fishing. I've been doing more fishing to de-stress than I ever have before. Um, and notice I said fishing, not catching. Um, I've been doing a lot of outdoor cooking. I get bored. I, I get out on the grill. So, um, and then spending time with the kids, like we walk around the neighborhood and I tell them stories about, as my, my young, my six-year-old says, about the old days. Uh, tell me what happened in, in 1992. Uh, you know what? So, That's disrespectful. Uh -huh. The disrespect <laughs> of these young kids. Wait, mom, were you, this says this came out in in nineteen eighty. Were you yeah. alive in the eighties? Yeah. The old days. I know. What, I know. Look, savages. Savages. But what little I love savages. about that, and that's a question that I've been asking lately, is like, what do you do? outside of working outside of business to take care of yourself. And so you have the Peloton, you have fishing and just spending time with your family. And it's very important as entrepreneurs that we find that separation between work and, and ourselves so that we can not mm -hmm. lose our minds so that we don't get all caught up in it. And so that we can have some sense of self and balance. I love that. I'm as, as, an entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur, everything is on you. Like if, if 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 Connie isn't at her best, how can you best serve the needs of your clients? 
So you have to be sharp mentally, physically, uh, you, you know, on, on all levels. So you have to be selfish or whatever they want to, whatever people may call it, but you have to take the time and reinvest in yourself so that you can Absolutely. best, you know, meet the needs of your staff, your clients, your family, your church, uh, whomever. So. And I think another thing that helps too is not trying to do everything yourself. What point in your in your practice did you say, <laughs> hey, you know what? We got to get some people up in here because it's too much. Did you did you start out with the team or did you mm, have that no, work for you? No, no, no. I have this big, huge phobia about being broke. Like I it's <laughs> like I wake up, you know, in the middle of the night, oh my God, all my accounts are negative. Somebody hacked me or you know, I've got a power bill and I can't afford to pay it. So when I started my own practice back in um, 2013, because uh, my boss at that time had passed away, I wasn't really ready to do that. I was scared, but I was forced to do it uh, because of his passing. And back to, I think your first question, like none of the other law firms in town would hire me, um, plaintiff or defense wise. Uh, so this is in 20. You know, I can say 2013 with 10 years of, of experience under my belt. Uh, I still couldn't get a job. So I kind of, you know, Daryl was out there. He had, he was in the same predicament and we were kind of like uh, the CMB brothers on, uh, on uh, New Jack City. All we got is us. And so we, we, we started together. But uh, initially it was just us on our cell phones, out of the car. I think I was driving a Toyota Avalon and I probably had a Nokia one of those Nokia phones with Tetris and Snake on it. Um, and, uh, but that was kind of how I started. And it was important for us, though, for both of us to, you know, as, a, and, and as an African-American-owned law firm, we want to, you know, you know what they say, what the common perception is about Black businesses. They don't call you back or they don't do this. They're not going to give you the level of service that, that the other people will. So, as time moved on and we, you know, hey, we, we got 100 in the bank, uh, we got $200 in the bank, 300, 400. All right, maybe it's time for us to get somebody so we could return those clients' calls. Um, by that time, I had had my first child. Uh, my, my, my wife and I, I didn't have a child. My, my wife had a child. Let uh, me <laughs> clarify. But we had, we had our first daughter, Aiden, and quality time with her was starting to be important to me. And I was fortunate enough to to get Lakeisha and she, we, we kind of started and I was like, man, she makes my life so much easier. I can, I can go to the, 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 the Christmas play and donuts with dad's day at preschool or maybe be running late to, to, to drop off at school. So, um, you know, uh, that when I realized how much investing back in my business and hiring talented people, not only increased the level or the quality of service that we could provide to a client in terms of time to return phone calls or, or drafting pleadings or whatever. But it also allowed me to go on vacations and, and oh man, I can, on Friday, hey, uh, somebody wants to go fishing. I can, I can leave at two o'clock and go fishing and my business won't implode. So it was, I love it, was, it. it was a trade-off. I love it. A welcome trade-off, but one that I, one that they, you had to push me into the deep end of the pool before I realized I could swim. So uh, I, I was just very, very tight on, on, on letting, putting money out. Cause I was like, I don't, 
I don't want to be poor and I don't, I don't want to miss payroll. That's that's so embarrassing. That thing, right? That that's important. It's one thing to be responsible for your own livelihood. Now you're responsible for somebody else's livelihood. Whew, like that yeah. is. Whew. Man, people call. I got relatives. They'll ask for money because you know for this or that and. You know, I, I, I say, because I appreciate that, but I've been practicing law for nearly 20 years. I don't ever recall you sending me any book of business, uh, which is fine, but I, I would love to donate to this cause or that cause, but I have to, A, support, I support those who support me. So the, the churches and the businesses who, who do business with me, the lawyers who send me cases, you know, I, I try to support their causes. Um, in addition to that, I'm like, hey, I know you want me to give some money because so-and-so is behind uh, Cousin Minnie, who I hadn't seen since I was four years old, is behind on her power bill. Well, you know, I got not only my power bill, because I got, man, I got three offices, uh, Birmingham, or two in Birmingham, one in Montgomery, but I also got about 30 people uh, who are my employees whose power bills I also have to be concerned about. So. Uh, you know, I don't mean to be ugly, but you know, I kind of have to prioritize. I got obligations that, um, that that people just don't consider. They they think they they see you as as having money or whatnot, but they don't understand what what all goes into that. Um, in terms of you know trying to build a uh, build a law firm, and um, you know, in in one sense, we 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 went from me and Gerald uh, practicing off of our cell phones to now we're the largest. African American um, owns, I think, law firm in the entire state. Um, now that's not really saying any, that's not saying a whole lot, but um, yeah. But we, we but right I, now we, I think we're up to eleven. Uh, we got twelve lawyers. So um, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And what is this common misconception? People hear, oh, you're a lawyer. Like you might have just got that paper in your hand and got those bar results. They're like, oh, can I borrow a dollar? Like, listen, I just walked up the stage with so much debt. <laughs> like, oh, that's not man. how that works. That's not how that yeah. works. Man, let me ask you this. And they don't pay. They don't, I, kind of, I think my first job was at the DA's office in Mobile. I made $25,000 a year. That was my very first job. Um, I had a 180, I had $184 a month car note, which is a steal. I had like a, a 1990 Volvo, the box Volvo though, not the pants. Oh, my dad had one. My dad had uh, one. I think it's 240 DL. And my student loans had not kicked in yet. So uh, I was, you know, I, I was blessed, but I wasn't balling yeah. out of control. Uh, and I think I my next job after that, my first civil job was working with Josh, Josh Smith and Johnny Cochran um, in Tuskegee. And I, I remember getting my very first jury verdict of $5.5 million. And uh, after getting that verdict, I asked uh, Jock Smith, first thing I could think of was, man, can I get a raise? Because I, I was making $35,000 a year at that time. And it was so bad, I was rolling pennies to, I would have a docket call in Sumter County, uh, which is, uh, for those who don't know, that's extreme West Alabama, which is almost on the Mississippi state line about a two hour drive from Montgomery, but I would have to roll pennies to go to docket calls to get to court because my boss would not give us mileage. He wouldn't give us gas expenses or mileage expenses until after the case settled. So uh, it was it was bad. <laughs> and But you know what, this, this is important for people to know just because I think there is this misconception or maybe, I don't even think it's a misconception. I don't know what it is, 
but people feel like, okay, I have my own business now. I'm supposed to have money like automatically, but it takes a while to get there. And there is going to be a struggle period. And that's okay. You don't have to let Instagram yeah. shame you into thinking that you're supposed to be taking pictures in front of big houses and driving fancy cars. And first of all, you have to set what success looks like for yourself, first of all. Mm. And second of all, you have to know that overnight success is like success is not overnight. Like it takes years, years mm. for someone to become overnight success. And so there's going to be a period of time where you're going to have a little struggle until you're able mm. to get to where you're trying to be. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Nah, There's something else I was going to say, but I can't remember. Fun. You bring up some great <laughs> points. But people have to, as a business owner too, and, and this, this ties, all ties back in, you got to plant seeds. In, in 2013, when my boss at that time, Jot, died, I didn't just instantaneously partner with Gerald. And six months later, we opened up the largest black-owned plaintiff firm in the state of Alabama. And we were suing hospitals and getting big verdicts. Man, we had to plant those seeds. The phone wasn't necessarily ringing uh, when we first started up. They were like, who are these two young black dudes, man, trying to sue so-and-so hospital or trying to sue this insurance company? Man, I'm not going to entrust my case to them. But we planted the seeds within the community in general, but within the legal community. And now, you know, six, seven years later, those seeds are sort of sprouting and we're able to reap the benefits of that harvest. But it didn't happen overnight. So, what do those seeds uh, look like? The seeds, mm -hmm. time, putting in the work, not expecting anything to be handed to you. So being able to work hard, being able to get good results for the client, availing yourself on holidays. Uh, my wife stopped making me give my client my cell phone. I got a call from a client on Christmas Day one year, wanted mm -hmm. an update on that case. And she was like, you can't give your cell phone number out anymore. This is after we were doing, the kids were born. And so we were doing Christmas with them. Those seeds look like your work product. Like I'm, I'm very, very, I have trust issues about work product. I want uh, the, the, the grammar, the punctuation, the I's need to be dotted, the T's need to be crossed. Comes now the plaintiff as opposed to comes now plaintiffs. You know, I'm, I'm just <laughs> a stickler for, for that sort of thing. Because again, as an African-American attorney, I know that people uh, opposing counsel, they want us to put out less than perfect work product. And I try not to stand for that. And that goes into my hiring process. I look at, you know, whether or not the attorneys, and it's not about intelligence a lot of times, it's, it's about whether or not you care. If they don't care, then you can't work here. You can be the smartest, you can be Harvard Law Review, but if you don't care and you already think you know it all, then, you know, ma'am or sir, you know, I wish you all the best. And, there's anything we can do for you in the future, don't hesitate to contact us. So that's kind of what those seeds are giving back, investing back into yourself and your business, throwing money away for a rainy day because it's going to come. It's going to come. And uh, one thing we've learned since March 13th, I guess, is that that rainy day is going to come. Your, your, how you make your money, yeah, how you make your money may come to a halt. As a trial lawyer, we don't make <laughs> money as trial lawyers unless you go into trial. My criminal defense lawyer friends, most times their defendant clients don't pay them the full retainer until the day or the week before trial. Family law attorneys, I'll pay you this retainer, but let me know when we get closer to the trial date so that I can go ahead and put it in your hands. So get it's money hard to make yeah. money as a lawyer without being able to go to court. So oh, we've had to revamp yeah. our system. And unfortunately, speaking of the seeds, we already 
before COVID hit. We have put the seeds in to have state-of-the-art technology. Now, don't ask me to operate it, but it's there. Uh, we put case <laughs> management, you know, we, we had a cloud-based case management software. We've got routers, wireless technology throughout the building. Everybody had a laptop so that they could work from home. And because our, our, our case management software, which costs a grip, which, you know, starting off, I never would have conceived of spending this much money for case management software, but it allows us to work remotely. It allows us to work collaboratively on files. And when you're an attorney dealing with clients, it also allows us to CYA, you know, to like the client mm -hmm. may say, well, you never called me, called me or you never told me that they had offered, you know, $100,000. I'm like, yes, ma'am. We sent you an email on, on February the 18th. And you responded and said, thank you. I accept the offer. So it helped us tremendously okay. putting those seeds in place so that when COVID hit, so, I mean, we, we were able to survive. Now, I may have lost some sleep, but I, I had to put on a brave face and a brave front for everyone else. My employees, my law partner, uh, you know, my wife, my kids, but, you know, we, 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 we made it. My grace of God. That's cool. Well, that's what we do. We had to put on that front and handle it. So that's good. Planting those seeds and doing that work early on. And again, that's what that whole thing about taking years, like success takes years, but you got to do, you got to put in the work. Mm -hmm. When the phone was dry, you said the phone was dry in the beginning, right? So when mm -hmm. the phone was dry, what did y'all do to get the phone ringing? <laughs> How'd y'all use well, your name out there? Uh, we, we took a whole lot of cases that seven years, eight years after the fact, we, we never should have taken. Now we put criteria in place as to what sort of things to look for when screening calls. It used to be just Gerald and I, hey, this is Chuck James, uh, can I help you? you the, are you the lawyer? Yes, 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 ma'am, I am. Okay, well, look, I got this I got this problem. And so, you know, I was doing the intake myself. Um, now we've got a whole intake department. We've got a remote call center that can answer the calls after hours. But one thing that we did to distance ourselves, um, we were the new kids on the block. Mm -hmm. Drive down the street, drive down the interstate, everybody, watch TV, everyone is advertising for personal injury cases, car wrecks, hit by 18-wheeler. Well, no one was advertising for hey, have you been injured due to the negligence or malfeasance of a doctor or a hospital or a nursing home? No one was advertising for those. Fortunately, my, my partner, Gerald, he used to work at a defense firm and he handled those sorts of cases. And I had done them from the plaintiff side. So we were able to kind of build our nest egg or our war chest by getting good results on cases that no one else either wanted or didn't know how to work. So we, and then we looked around the landscape there, and, and I encourage young attorneys or people in law school or, or even any kind of business, what separates you from the crowd? Um, there are plenty of African-American uh, criminal defense lawyers or family law attorneys, but I didn't see many trying cases, trying wrongful death, trying medical malpractice, trying product liability cases. And so we decided we were going to stick to our guns and step into that fold. I was speaking to some young students at Faulkner and at Cumberland recently. I was like, go back in your hometown or where you plan to practice and see if there are any African-American workers' compensation attorneys or, or not just African-American, but Latino uh, of, 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 of women. Um, if you're the only uh, woman who's doing bankruptcy in your area, that sets you apart from the crowd. Or if you're um, the only uh, African-American probate attorney, um, you know, you can probably make a pretty good living if you work that or network it properly. So look where other people 
establish your brand, kind of like you did. You are throughout the state. I get calls all the time. Hey, can you recommend an African-American IP attorney or African-American attorney to help me to get my business set up? Well, yeah, I do know someone. Let me get you her name. Matter of fact, I gave your name out to someone last week. So, and then I, I but, but that's, I that's what, what you need to do uh, when the phone you isn't ringing. Look at your 30 day, your six month, your one year, your five year, your 10 year, your 20 year plan. And how are you going to make those plans come to fruition? What are you going to do uh, to set yourself apart? What are you going to do to provide value, not just to your clients, but to your community at large and also the bar, the legal community? What's your legacy going to be? What's the mark that you're going to leave? That's what you need to do uh, when the phone isn't ringing. Plan. I love that. uh, Yeah. And make that niche. You said you saw what everybody else was doing and you found that gap that needed to be served. And you stepped into that. And that's how you run a successful business in any industry. If you find Mm -hmm. that gap, you found that problem and you step in and people complain about niching down. But you have to, like, it's really good for you to focus and make your name be known for something. Because one of the things, like when I first started, you know, I was a threshold lawyer. I tell anybody, if you walked over that threshold, I was going to do it. But when I decided Mm -hmm. to niche down, I had to change the whole branding. I wanted to be known for something. You have to be known for something. So people will know who to even send to you for referrals, right? If you're not known for something, if you're not branding yourself in a certain way, people who might want to send you referrals, your name won't even come up because they don't know how you can help the people that need to be helped. So I love that. And then I also heard you say network, network. So your network and niching down, those things really help when when you're trying Mm -hmm. to get the phone to ring. So I love that. We are- And it's uncomfortable a lot of times. Uh, You were talking about being an introvert. And I'm an extrovert, and sometimes it's uncomfortable for me. Believe it or not, I hate public speaking. I hate it. But when you're networking and you're trying to build a business, make payroll, feed your children, and everybody else's children, you know, you have to get outside of your comfort zone. That's so funny because you're an extrovert who hates public speaking. I'm an introvert, but if you put me on a stage, I'm going to rock it. Like, oh, oh, I'm like, I'm like Beyonce, Sasha Fierce out there. Like, And then as soon as I come off stage, I'm like, okay, I'm I'm back to being meek and quiet again. I'm way better at one-on-one interactions. And lawyers like that too. Lawyers very introverted. But good Lord, you put her on a stage or behind a pulpit or in front of a jury, she absolutely, I mean, she's knocking Barry Bonds while he was on steroids home run. I mean, like (laughs) she is knocking it out the park. I'm just amazed every time. She speaks and you you have those same qualities. It's a I appreciate gift. It. Well, I appreciate that. Listen, let's talk about this. We're about to wrap it up. Go so law school. You said right. you kind of knew in law school that you were gonna have to forge your own path, right? You think law school pra- prepared you for the practice of uh, like having your own business, hanging out your own shingle? No. Tingle? No. 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 I, it, it prepared me for the, I guess the the, the theoretical side. What is a tort? And uh, you know, what is the, what's rule 12B6 of the Alabama Rules of Civil Procedure and what are the hearsay ex- exceptions, but how to navigate a business, how to bring cases to fruition by Zoom or try cases by Zoom. No, law school did not uh, teach me that. Law school did not teach me how to get out here and hustle and open my mouth and shake people's hands 
and try to drum up business. Law school didn't teach me that. Law school didn't tell me how to how to just do right by people. I got this thing you never. It's actually one thing I learned from John Smith and Johnny Cochran working for them. If a client does everything that you ask them to do, under no circumstances should you put more money in your pocket than what the client is getting. That's bad business, uh, particularly when you're representing people in your community. So other people can do that because they don't really care. They're going to go back to their little gated estate, you know, in country club manner. But nah, these are our people and you can't do that. So God has that. blessed us so that, you know, I tell clients, God has blessed us so that, you know, I got a filing cabinet with 2,000 cases just like yours. Uh, but hopefully this is the last time that you're going to need an attorney or the, the last time that you're ever injured. So, um, you know what, I take this L and I'll, I'll reduce my fee so that I can uh, put more money in your pocket so that I'm not taking more than you. You're the one who went to physical therapy. You're the one who had surgery. So let me let me be fair. Let me do the right thing. The Christian do the thing. right thing. The Christian thing. And that's not something that you picked up while you were when you were in school. They didn't teach me it's that just... in law school. Law school is cutthroat. Uh, they, you know, and in law school, particularly where I was in Alabama, the attitude was so uppity or or I'm better than everyone else. Um, you know, they would never think of having to listen to what a client has to say or how a client feels about a given situation. I'm holier than thou. That, therefore, you ought to, you, you better listen to what I'm telling you. And that's not something, definitely not something that I picked up in law school. That's something I picked up from how I was raised. My granddad is from Chopsaw Bluff, Alabama with a third grade education, but he owned the largest Black-owned grocery store in the state of Alabama. And I learned more about what I'm doing today in terms of running a law firm and doing right by people, sitting on a fishing boat with him <laughs> uh, than I did in, in you know four years of college with, with a master's degree and, and three years of law school. So I, I think I owe a lot of, you know, how I treat people and who I am based upon how I was raised um, from my, you know, the lessons that my parents, that were still in my parents from, from their parents. So. I love it. I love it. Let's leave the people with a little something. If someone wanted to be an entrepreneur, start their own business, start their own law firm, what advice would you give them? Stay true to you, who you are. Don't keep up with the Joneses. Don't worry about what everybody else is wearing, what everyone else is driving, uh, live within your means. Don't worry about what it, where other people live or where they moved to or where they went to vac where they went for vacation. Hey, they went to Dubai and you know I could barely afford to take my family to Gulf Shores. Don't get caught up in that. Run your own race. Uh, your time will come. But as we talked about, you just got to put those seeds. You got to plant those seeds, and 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 when it's time for them to harvest. You know, your blessings will, will, will flow abundantly. Be fiscally prudent. Um, if you know that you're going to be an entrepreneur, I don't care how good your business idea is, people, banks or financial institutions or even, um, you know, uh, 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 lay, lay people who may invest in you, people aren't going to feel comfortable investing in your ideas if you don't have the resources or savings or funds to use either as collateral or to match what they're going to put in. So, um, you know, live within your means. Don't have an exorbitant house note, car note. You know, you get a good result. Hey, pay yourself a little something. Maybe you can, y'all can go out for ice cream or to Starbucks or Applebee's or whatever. But, you know, don't don't go ball out and, and, and take off. I used to see plaintiff's lawyers do that. 
you know, they, they get a good result and, you know, they're going to, you know, Costa Rica for three months. And, mm. you know, I just don't think that that's a good strategy, man. Take that money, put it back into the firm, put something aside for taxes, put something to, to put back in the firm, then pay yourself up now. Don't pillage your business, living your own personal lifestyle, going to the club and shopping and Lennox Mall in Atlanta, and I, I had a partner who was a lawyer, good guy, but he would just love to go to the club in Atlanta. You drive from Montgomery to Atlanta and spend seven thousand dollars in a nightclub in Atlanta on a Tuesday night. Wow, wow, wow! And when the when the when the going is good, it's good, but for whatever reason, when those calls slow down or when COVID hits and you can't, those clients aren't willing to pay you those exorbitant criminal retainers. You know, what are you going to do then? Think about how much money you spilled in the champagne room, you know, trying to impress or winding down somebody who doesn't, you know, could could care less who you are. So, one final question. Last question is, so the podcast is Own Your Genius, right? What does it mean to you? Owning Your Genius. It means to me that my God-given talents, my intellectual property, I own that. There's only one Chuck James. Just like there's only one Connie Murray. You know, there's only one Sammy Davis Jr. There's only one Stevie Wonder. Own you. Own your brand. Own your talent. And make sure instead of making every, when I was working for other people, I always felt like I was helping everyone else's children. I was paying their children's private school tuition or I was paying for their beach houses or their condos or you know, their private airplanes or their trips to Las Vegas. But owning my own genius, um, you know, claiming who Chuck James is and, and claiming Serious Injury Law Group and, and, and you know, working with my partner, you know, we, we are who we are. And there's no one, and, and not to be arrogant, but no one can do what we do, like we do. I'm not saying we're, we're the best, we're the baddest or whatever, but uh, nobody's going to do it the way that we do. And that's part of owning our genius. So, uh, and, and, and I want to thank you for helping us to own our genius because when it came time to do our, our copyrights and our trademarks and, and, and even setting up um, the, the corporate entity, you know, we, we called you and we have weathered some storms. People have tried to, when it was just two guys practicing on the cell phone and out of their cars, nobody really took us seriously. Nobody cared about us. But now, you know, they see the name and they're coming. Uh, <laughs> they're coming yeah, for us. So right. We're protected. We're protected because of you. So. Yep, yep, yep. And we keep them off of you too. So I appreciate I that. Know. Thank you so much, Chuck, for joining us today on the Own Your Genius podcast. Super duper excited. Let's take this conversation over to the Genius Lounge. I want you to share this episode with three friends and have them meet you there. But you know what to do before you go. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and rate the podcast. Until next week, I want you to keep building your business, growing your brand, and owning your genius.